art on your sleeve. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Art on Your Sleeve podcast. We've finally come of age. In this episode, I speak with Paula Benson and Paul West from Form, a design company that's been around for 30-something years now and have worked with the great and the good of the music industry. Just some people on their list include Heaven 17, East 17, Two Thirds, Deuce, Everything But The Girl, Natalie Imbruglia, Squishy Politti, Five, Atomic Kitten, David McCalmont, Depeche Mode, Busted Girls Aloud. I could go on, but just listen to this podcast instead. This is a supplement to a pop art article I wrote for Classic Pop magazine in January 2018, issue 36 of the magazine, if you want to try and track one down. I hope you enjoy the episode. As ever, if you've got anything to say, hopefully nice, please do so via the Facebook group for Art on Your Sleeve. It's a friendly and growing group of people, and it'd be good to hear what you think of the episode. So enjoy it, and I'll speak to you at the end with a couple of other little messages. surrounded by this archive of how many years work 32 years wow and is that all no that's not all as form is it some of that will predate the existence of? it's mostly form i think some of it was um just before we set up paul was working with vaughan oliver at 4id quite a lot so there's quite a bit of cocteau twins things here yeah and there's a very large palette of your college days and early <laughs> memorabilia. I'm not going in there. <laughs> right, so that maybe can stay there. It does go earlier. But, the but predominantly is, form, yeah. yeah, and uniform, which was the fashion range that we that we ran for many years as well. But yeah, predominantly form. So was the cocktail twin stuff that you did as a freelance individual? So it was just you on your own who got that. Yeah, I mean, I won't. I'll kind of rip through it, but um, as a student it was all about factory in 4AD for me um yeah. stop me if you've heard this before <laughs> so i did my thesis on peter and vaughan or um <clears throat> v23 envelope as it was then and as a result i ended up working for peter and did an awful lot of freelance with vaughan and vaughan gave me my biggest um break that i've ever had in my life really when he asked whether i'd design bluebell knoll and that eventually led on to de- designing Heaven or Las Vegas. So that was all 88, 89, 90. I think I did Heaven or Las Vegas in 90, and then you and I set up in 91, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because we were actually... Um, living in the same flat together. Paul was actually my lodger. <laughs> um, we weren't together then, but um, when you were doing the photo shoot for Heaven or Las Vegas, you were doing that in the kitchen with Andy Rumble. Yeah, around, well, not in our house, but just around the corner in his, where he was staying, which was like literally about a five-minute walk away. Yeah, and then Elizabeth Fraser would come around and sit in our tiny kitchen and choose the images she liked the most. Yes. Yeah, that was that was very exciting. Elizabeth and Robin just turning up one day and we were, you know, I was only about 20, 23 at the time and you must have been about 21, 22. And it yeah. was like, oh, my God. Cool but we were very much invol- <laughs> involved in each other's lives. I mean, that was definitely your thing, uh, Cocteau Twins. But then we did work together on a Cocteau's box set when form was officially started in 91. Yeah, which we got up there, actually. Oh, yes. I've got that as well. Oh, yeah, I well didn't know that was yours. Yeah, we worked on that with Vaughan. So that was really um, Vaughan giving us all of his artworks. And this was the great kind of like size down from vinyl into CD at that time. Oh. So Paul and I were responsible for redesigning all of um, Vaughan's 12 inches to um, CD, CD style, um, which in itself was a massive project. It was a big job because that was pre-digital. But prior to that then, were you... Because you worked... At- with Peter Savile, didn't you, prior to that, and with Mark Farrow before that again? So you're yeah, you're going back. We've kind of ignored a quite significant chunk of your creative where you started, really. 
Yeah, I worked, as I said, I did my thesis on Peter Saville. So I worked or I interviewed Brett Wickens, who is Peter's um, you know, right hand man, if that's, that sounds rubbish to say. It. But, you know, Brett was Peter's um, direct. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, so I was really lucky I, just to meet you know, New Order and Tony Wilson coming into the office and Mark Askeley from Yoji Yamamoto and Anton Corbin was there all the time at one stage because of the whole Depeche Mode 101. And yeah, these are these are just the really amazing things, which is what we will probably keep dwelling on. The wonderful thing about accessing archive is I suppose the the gates flood open and it's your own personal acknowledgement of a great era that we're so lucky to have been a part of. Mm. And, you know, the, the early When years, working in music was still an art. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the mavericks and the, that still yeah, ran the mavericks, the industry. The nutters, the craft, all of that. But, I mean, but when I met Paul, he'd worked with Peter Savile for several years, Vaughan Oliver and Mark Farrow. And as far as I was concerned, that was unbelievable. Yeah pedigree yeah and none of that came around by chance it came around by a real passion and dedication and being incredibly focused on what you wanted you knew that you you loved music if you put, cut Paul in half you'll 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 find music in there so it being driven by that and being very focused on w w the kind of work you wanted to do and who you wanted to work with so by the time I met Paul I was like this this guy knows exactly where he's going I, I, I like that <laughs> <laughs> But you know, your your education was a lot more. Branding didn't really have a name then. Mm. No. But that's really where you were going. So it was a really yeah, good I, combination of skills. Yeah, I was always very interested in psychology and how people sort of respond to things subconsciously. So branding is an expression of that. I think it's a bit of a dirty word these days. But mm. um, I mean, I I was offered a job at the BBC as my first job, and I often wonder how my career would have been down a different path if, uh, had I done that. Um, but then I kind of worked in slightly corporate companies, but was sort of, you know, out at illegal raves in the evening and then going and having quite serious conversations with corporate clients during the day. But, uh, you know, we, we knew very quickly that, that I think it was on um, it, the, uh, what was the club called in Brixton? The Fridge. The Fridge, the Fridge. The fridge in Brixton, Paul and I were on the dance floor one night, like really going 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 for it with dance moves. And um we just said, Oh, we just need to make this part of our lives and create a design group around it. Yeah. So um it took you a while to get your head around that, didn't it? Well, not I I don't I can't honestly remember. I, I used think to phone you up every week going, Have you handed in your notice yet? Oh yeah, I do remember. No, I haven't. Have you handed in your notice yet? No, not yet. And meanwhile I was off doing business courses and things, learning how to <laughs> Work with VAT and all that sort of boring stuff, kind of doing the background work. So, but, so during those early days when you were doing stuff with Peter Savile Associates, what was, was it? Yeah, PSA them? then. PSA. Yeah. You worked on stuff for that was that was post <coughs> Pet Shop Boys, wasn't it? Because that was three A. Yeah. So this was the stuff for Liza Minnelli and Dusty Springfield. Oh no. Um, or am I getting all confused? Here? The, the 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 PSA era was. Um, I was around around things like Touched by the Hand of God. Um, they were working on Joy Division Substance with the really fantastic Vim Crowell font and the Jan van Munster ice pick on the inside. Um, but I, 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 I was around there. I didn't really do any of that work. I mean, obviously, right. that was Peter and Brad. Oh, not, oh, technique as well, of course. That was the whole kind of Hacienda thing. Then I left there, and, and weirdly, I'd just been reading in the face about this band called Electroid 101. And I just remember seeing the photograph, and there was Billy and uh, the guys in the back, and it was a really good shot. I remember thinking, oh, this sounds kind of quite interesting. And I went to see Mark, and um, I was there saying, so what bands are you going on at the moment? He was there saying, oh, well, you know, apart from, because Neil and Chris were just going into their huge world tour, and he was there saying, oh, yeah, well, Tom's just signed Electroid 101. I went, oh, my God, I was just reading about that. And he went, oh, really? So we kind of really got on well then, and obviously I, my PSA style was very much the 3A style as well. So it was actually quite a seamless. Mm. And my first job there, I arrived, and it was like, where's Mark? Oh, Mark's in um, Japan with Pet Shop Boys, and you've got to crack on this new campaign for Liza Minnelli. 
and it was like, oh no! <laughs> so I just literally sat down and kind of started designing some ideas, faxed them over to Mark, and um, he absolutely loved it. And that was really good. Neil and Chris were there, so they saw the faxes as well and really liked it. So that was the greatest validation because you know when Faxes, you start, you faxed the yeah. ideas. But this is tracing as well, tracing yeah. new Helvetica, and yeah. then by hand, and then faxing that over. So that was a really good start because I was really panicking. You know, you started a new company, you want to be your best, but the boss isn't there, and you've got to deliver something. And it's like I was only twenty four at the time, twenty three. <laughs> so I always remember that story, and I often think it's a good it's a good test of people. Um, like some people wouldn't have been able to handle that at all. Mm. And I think, um, I sometimes think, oh, maybe that's, a you know, when we've ever taken on young people, I often think maybe it would be a good idea to give them something like a massive project from the beginning and deep see how they respond. Yeah. But it never works out. But you responded to that. Well, yeah. You stepped up. Well, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I worked with Mark for <clears throat> probably a couple of years. We were working on deconstruction. Um, but, yeah, it was just exciting really 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 exciting times i mean to be in neil street in the you know the late 80s and <clears throat> bross turning up one day and neil street being completely closed down and just the sea of rabid fans was a real eye-opener and of course not something that you really get anymore because everything's changed really the dynamics of everything it's incredible i used to come and meet you for lunch and phone you and say like, i can't get in there's too too many people in in neil street and all with ripped yeah. jeans the, tops all the brossettes <laughs> yeah screaming so your studio then was on that was in the same building as tom Watkins' massive management yeah. offices so massive was on one floor and 3a was the floor above so that's and was that a kind of hangover from the mm. earlier days when, with all the stuff for ZTT, when it was, because everything was ZTT slash XL? Yeah, that I don't know. That was before my time. Right. And it's funny, actually, because Tom never really talked that much about the XL days. I think Tom was probably one of these guys that he was always forward, 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 mm. wasn't he? He didn't really dwell back. But he was, he, I don't, Tom was, he was such a dichotomy, wasn't he? He was a man of incredible generosity and he had our backs on a number of occasions things like merchandise yeah when we were having these projects and tom would wade in and he'd go now listen here if you don't do what my designers want the jobs are you know it was like and well, he... tom would and they'd all go okay and paul and i would go tom we love you this is with, so this with kind of record company marketing people, presumably. Who, yeah, yeah. M merchandise people who would just like stick a logo on the front and hope mm. it was going to be great. Um, but I think because of his design background, yeah. um, you know, he did train as an architect. He was an architect, right? So he understood the importance of design and the importance of branding. And we'd never met anyone in the music industry before that yeah. point who really understood how it made a difference. With such a passion. Yeah. So he made sure we did absolutely everything, every single bit of merchandise, every advert, every poster, every, you know, there was no like fishing it out to some cheap studio to reformat things. We did absolutely everything. And yeah. that's because he really understood the detail. Yeah. 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 I think that yeah. definitely shows as well. It's mm. a sort of yeah. neat segue into the 17 stuff that mm. you can tell that's all been handled by the same creative team. Mm. So after um, Paul and I set up in 91, we were we created a portfolio and we, a physical portfolio, you know, the old well, days I of, those. yeah, full of, full of, um, you know, actual records and we literally lug it around town. I've got the old diary somewhere, it's amazing. We were seeing about 10 record companies a day at one point and it was so exciting going to see all the marketing managers and what have you and... You know, we picked up our first few commissions with East West and all the rest of it. And then um, Paul, Mark and um, Mark Farrow and Tom had stopped working together around that time. So um, Tom called Paul and said, you know, do you want to come around for a meeting? And you were a little dubious about it because you didn't want to step on Mark's toes at that point. You know, well, absolutely. Very, very respectful for that, about that. So we went round to meet Tom in his house in Maida Vale. 
And, um, you know, he greeted us in the door in his dressing gown. He just got out of the pool and, you know, was dripping wet. And I realised that was, that was a technique to disarm. But he was so laid back and cool and in control that he could walk around naked if he, if he wanted. And, um, and he showed us a whole... These are basically... Oh, wow. This is before they were even E17. But he, he, oh, sat, wow. he sat us down and he said, right, I'm, I'm, I'm signing a whole load of new bands and uh, I want you to do it all. And uh, we're going to start with this band and I want you to come up with the concepts and the logo and it's got to be completely antithesis of anything that's out there. I want it to be, this is the music, you know. And he literally laid out like a 10-year plan. This is where I'm going, this is what I'm doing and I want you to look after it all. And I remember walking out of that amazing house in Maida Vale to, to go back to the Tube and Paul and I were just like you know, heart was racing. It's like, yeah. this is really exciting, but shit, can we handle it? Can we cope with this? Yeah. And we just dove in. That was that was one, that was was the moment, wasn't it, when we realised that, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but we realised that our life wouldn't be the same as a design group mm. because we were, as Paula said, we, we very much had a trajectory. I mean, we were on the, the kind of 4AD aesthetic until that meeting with Tom. Yeah. And then it literally went. So we'd also been doing things like, you know, working with Damien Hurst quite closely and mm. the ICA and doing all these incredibly... London Fashion Week. Yeah, we've been doing, you know, really sort of minimalistic, um, you know, concept-driven mm. work at that point. And then we were presented with this, what was going to be, what was billed to us as, you know, being a mega pop band. They were like, where does this fit in? So then we just thought, well, let's go for the, along for the ride. Mm. But let's bring some of that aesthetic of the minimalist sort of, you know, mm. approach to things and concept driven and see, see if we can make it work in pop. Mm. And I think we did. Yeah. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, it was the antithesis of what was going on at the time with the chocolate box, take that type approach to things. Um, no disrespect to take that, but a lot of the boy the, bands. The design, you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah to the, the design was often, you know, very schmaltzy, kind of not particularly great. Um, concepts of you know groups of boys and we thought let's let's do something graphic and um, and Tom was quite demanding at that time I mean he was very demanding indeed we must have done a hundred different things before we came up with the dog that Paul drew and then he's like right yeah no this is this is not like any other band pop band logo um, let's buy the band a dog <laughs> Well, the whole thing about Bob was because of Stuzzy and Mambo. Because Paul yes, and I, Paul yes, and yes, I yes. Were, It was all about surfwear, streetwear, graphics, yeah. big kind of like brash kind of cartoons. And Tom, that was Tom to a T. I mean, mm. Tom loved that stuff, all the Michiko, you know, Casino. Yeah. He just loved it. And Mariscal, that whole sort of Span yeah, Mariscal, for Spanish sure. graphic sort of... So that was our our version and we just sent over the dog and Tom just kind of went, you know, are we allowed to swear in this? <laughs> Tom went, just found us up going, fuck me, I fucking love it. And that was it. And like Paula said, they, they got a dog. Um, so we, we called it Bob because apparently Brian, Terry, John and Tony used to call each other Bob instead of mate. They used to go, you're right, Bob. And it, it was their kind of way. So we called Bob, Bob Dog, because that's the way they used to call each other. But then they went and got a dog and called it Levi. And so <laughs> even now I had a conversation with somebody saying, oh, I really love your Levi dog. It's like, no, it's Bob. After 25 years, 30 years. Yeah, if we'd done a style guide, <laughs> it would have been clear. Yeah, this is Bob. Who was the next in line after he was that? Juice. I mean, the oh, weird juice. Yeah, but I mean, the weird thing is, is that we were doing other kind of work on the side around that time, weren't we? Not on the side, but we, so we had this massive pop thing going on. And, you know, one thing led to another because obviously seventeen were really big and then other, you know, record companies would want a bit of that approach so we'd get yeah. more. But then at the other, same time, we were kind of doing a lot of kind of dance, um, you know, just as the dance scene was really burgeoning. I mean, it had been obviously burgeoning for a long time, but it had become more overground and mainstream. We were doing a lot of dance stuff and then still doing this work for the ICA and Damien Hurst and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. It was... So we had, all, we had to get these, put these different heads on for different meetings and different sort of approaches to things. But after, yeah, E17 came, was Juice, yeah. And somewhere... That's very Japanese right. influence, yeah. isn't it? The kanji stuff. Yes, this was um, this is what we prepared for. Tom would always say he wants to kind of brand pack, right? And he would instruct us to go away and come up with our kind of concepts, 
And again, Lawrence, this is the really earliest photos of Juice. So this is are... when they weren't even a band. Look so, about 10 years old. And this is made of ale, so this is literally outside Tom's old house. These were the packs that we would create for Tom to go and see so all early the record ideas, company which with. Which never made it. So before they were signed, quite often before there was even music written, to be honest. So he would go to the label with the artist and the art at the same time. Yeah, yeah. and say, this is packages. the brand. Which yeah. is an unusual way really, of doing it. Really, really. Yeah. But of course the record label loved it mm. because he they was a man that had the plan. Yeah, the template was all yeah. there for them. Because Deuce sadly never really lived up to the, the mm. hype. You know, there was one no. or two singles. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I had no idea there was a fan base, but, uh, you know, it didn't really take off commercially. We had great mm. fun with the artwork. It, it didn't do badly. Did it? I can't remember. They I don't... almost did Eurovision, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm. Were they commercially successful? Mm. They were. The singles, yeah. I singles. Mean, call it love. Yeah. On the Bible was pretty massive, wasn't it? And that juice stuff is that <clears throat> logo all hand drawn, or is that early days of? Early days. We had our first yeah, early days. Mac. We we got a, a grant from was it the Princess PYBT, yeah. Yeah, Princess Trust oh. gave us a grant to buy our first Mac. But prior to that we were going into Neil's yard had this kind of like Mac centre where you could go and rent a Mac by the hour. Yeah, Neil's so yard DTP. Yeah, that's right. So we'd meet meet there on a the morning, <laughs> Paul and I. And um, sit there, and we'd be like, "Wait, we've got to get it done. We've only got 20 minutes left. It's like a recording studio, you know. We've got to get this done today." Um, sort of working side by side on a Mac. So then, one, yeah, I guess Juice was. What date was Juice? Sorry. Oh, I, I, gosh, I should remember actually. But I do think that was more digital, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But the kanji script and all that, we were always obsessed with um, symbolisms, but especially kind of Japan. Yeah. And we did go there quite a, a number of times and just like the idea of bringing a different, sort of mixing up cultures. I think, I think two-thirds was probably, on reflection, I think that's probably when Tom was at his most excited. I think in two-thirds, Tom saw a perfect opportunity to replicate a kind of Pet Shop Boys. And I think that's where Tom was. He was on fire with two-thirds, wasn't he? I mean, this was our concept just to create a sort of newspaper with lots of tip-ins, see those stamps that we created and... He had loads of sheets of them, <clears throat> gave me a couple of those. Do you know, I still think this is one of my favourite pieces it's of design beautiful. that we ever created, yeah, actually. Yeah, do you I remember when we did this? Yeah, we, we, went, we just oh, let loose, just let loose. But yeah, so we were, so lots of photographers were coming in to see us at the time. Lots of young photographers just out of college. Mercury and um, Biff Sweets. So do you remember Spiros Politas came in to see us and he just left Bournemouth, was it? Photography course? Yeah. And then, and we really, he was doing all these experiments with light. So he said, um, do you want to come and work with us on this band? We want it to be very colourful. And... Um, Oh my God, we worked, he worked so hard on those photo shoots, you know, we'd just spend days setting it up and then, you know, the band would be in and then days kind of like working on it afterwards. But Spiros, that was his first major photo shoot. He'd never done a shoot like this before. And no, Spiros and, just did an incredible so not job. not knowing what the outcome was going to be, I think is really crucial in all of this, actually. We... We weren't able to say to the record company, this is how it's going to look. You know, they want to see now how it's going to look before they even employ you. Yeah. So it was basically based on trust and skill and previous portfolio, which is why we commissioned Spiros. None of us knew what the end result was going to be, but put a load of creative people in the room and the results were, you know, bigger than the sum of the parts because, you know... It doesn't happen though, because people want to see the final result before you've even started. Ask me again if I'm all right. 
you know, a lot of our peers at the time were, were doing incredible minimalist design and we were really worried that with these 17, it's quite egotistical in a way, we were worried that we'd gone down an avenue mm. that we didn't see ourselves being mm. part of. So I think with two thirds, it was a culmination of all that kind of 360 degree thinking that we were that we were doing with pop, but bringing it back to all that really graphic, minimalistic, kind of edgy approach. But that's when it just, you know, when, I mean, you know, as a designer, when things flow, it's like great alchemy happens, yeah. but the, the reverse is so often true. But when it works, it's just incredible. It's, it's amazing. But Andrew just find, found the plasters. We even yeah. created plasters, and that well, was because Lee used to wear a, it was a fashion statement, yeah. right? We've, got, a rub, we've got the rubber gloves somewhere. Oh, oh God, yeah. What was that about? I don't know. <laughs> don't but know. looking back, I mean, it's easy to post-rationalise things looking back, but mm. you can see that the lineage, the creative lineage between... This, for instance, because the, the, there's a slight Japanese influence with yes. this stuff as well. Yes. And then when you went on to the everything but the girl stuff, mm. yes. that literally had Japanese text yes. on it, didn't it, as an yes. integral part of the design. Yes. And what was that about? Was that just your love of kind of Japanese pop artefacts? Uh, you mentioned it earlier, actually. It was, you know, every um, at least three or four times a week. This is when we were based in Long Yard in Bloomsbury. At least three or four times a week, we jump on the number 38 and go along to Oxford Street and go to Virgin Records, the big mega store there, and just go and see what was in the charts and what, what, what the design was looking like. And we always used to love that the import, the Japanese import section, yeah. where um, it just looked like some alien kind of world. That was very exotic, like you said, and very attractive. So it was we all were... kanji and barcodes, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, barcodes on the front and there's a sort of graphic device. So incredibly graphic, basically. And then when we received the photos for, for everything, but the girl from... Um... Oh, Marcella Krasulczyk. Yeah, we just thought they looked really otherworldly and we wanted to combine that sort of feeling of... Well, can I darkness of the imagery with that Should... sort of Japanese import feel? Well, and also let's let's not forget that at the time, because um, Tracy had been working with Massive Attack, yeah, they just course. brought out the Todd Terry missing. Yeah. So honestly. In the design, because, you know, all of our peers from Style Rouge, Big Active, all of these design groups, to do everything but the girl was the kind of like the must-do <laughs> campaign. Everybody wanted to do it. So we submitted an extensive amount of roughs before we'd even seen Marcello's imagery. Yeah, I, if I remember correctly, there were several page, stages of pitching for this. It was, would you be interested in working with everything but the girl? What would your vision be? So then we put in a, a series of, without seeing the photographs, then it'd be, yes, we like your approach. Here, are, we're going to... And in this case, actually, they, they the I think it was the band or the record company then commissioned the photography. Right. So this is one example where we didn't commission it and we received, you know, hundreds of photos that we would pour through, but <laughs> the picture of them in the back of the car was the clear image to be used. Right. So it was, it was several stages of development of ideas, then receiving the photography and then trying to bring these two things together. Yeah. So he, that's when Bennett had a, a rather um, severe illness. Um, and I think he'd come out the other side of that, perhaps wanting to have a lot of control over his life and his vision. So he was very, very, very involved. Yeah. in every step of the way for, for the first single and the album. And then I think he realized he could trust us. And then mm. he got busy and touring and promoting and then mm. just left us to it after that. It was a very important part. But I think it does actually highlight an important thing, which was working directly with the artist. Yeah very powerful but very rarely happens you know some bands we've worked with we've been kept at deliberate arms distance which heaven knows why because you know it's those face-to-face -face conversations as we were talking about earlier where ideas happen and where trust builds and it can save months and yeah. months and months of time and effort and money but for some reason you know that well i mean every, every, every project's different isn't it sometimes 
you luck out and you have these meetings like you know ben was fantastic um when we worked with scritty with green green was in like literally every day as well and it's wonderful because you know dc dc are idols i mean scritty politi for god's sake that feel daunting picking that up actually because of that body of work did you feel like oh my god you know mind you you've, you've, you've picked stuff up from other major yeah, players not, not really because i think you know what it's like you, you suddenly get design hat on and suddenly you've got green gartside sitting at the table with you and, and you go into you go into that mode don't you whereas maybe before it was like oh my god it's pretty god. i don't think we've ever been majorly starstruck in that way actually have we? We're both very... Not sort of... since Cocteau Twins for me. <laughs> Peaked early. Peaked early. <laughs> so Green, Green had been looking at John Baldessari. He brought out a, a, a series called Objects of Scale, I think, right. which was photographing very small things, very big. And Green, I think, was really enamoured with that. So as Paula said, that was the idea. Maybe we took the idea of that into everyday objects. But then we picked something within each track. Yeah. That so there is there is some you know they're not just random objects they do sort of have some connection with the track like the skateboard screws. Yeah. So we we managed to find a till. Is that is that Scritty? Yeah. Yeah, that's the track. So where where was it? Where we found that till? Was it in Hackney? Um, I di I distinctly remember researching all the different people that sold till. Um, well, going into loads of shops saying for start, how does the information of the price of the items in your shop come into the till if you press that how does it know that it's that object in that price and they said oh it's all coded and I said well who does the coding and they said the till people so then I remember distinctly going to find yeah. a till somewhere in Holloway Road or Tufnell Park or something like that I'm going to say would you do a random thing from us and like program a till so that you know um Annami and Bonami could be the track like listing i.e. 1 minute 29 is, or 4 minutes 29 is the length of the single, <laughs> and to programme in the names and all the yeah. timings of the tracks were, like, prices. I mean, why did we go to all that effort? Because it was ace fun. Yeah, it was great fun. <laughs> yeah. It was just good. It's not about it's always about the end result, it's about the process. Yeah, to that point. absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, you know, we've, we've done a lot of, a lot of work in terms of, the industry that we were in but I suppose there are the kind of the crowning glory moments um things like everything but the girl definitely was in 96 and Scritty definitely was in 99 that was you know to do Anime and Bonamy in, in 99 was really really but it's something. funny the trajectory because I often think about it how one project led to another and obviously if something was number one in the charts and the record companies would go well, who designed that let's give them a call and you could see a trajectory because, um, Natalie. <laughs> yeah, Natalie and Brulia, which was an incredible thing to work on, working with Rankin on the photography and working with Natalie really closely on that. And then, you know, obviously Torn went to number one. And, you know, then for the next few weeks, we'd be asked to do 101 single female girl acts. <laughs> and then... We then that turned into like all saints, and then we'd be asked to do lots of girl groups, and then mm. you know, um, but you know, in the background, we were always doing other projects other than these things as well. You know, any one time, we would have like 25 bands on the day. <laughs> But Natalie was in all the time, and she was... My memory of Natalie is this glowing, smiling personality. Do you remember she used to walk in the room, she used to go, how are you all doing today, are we good? And everybody would like, of course, smile, and she'd go, oh, great, you know, and that was Natalie. It's just like, bang, 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 bang. Um, yeah, and I can't remember Natalie's manager, was it? Anne. Anne. Like, Natalie and Anne were a really great duo that we got on really, really well with, and it, it was just a pleasure. And I've actually found the original torn photographs that we did. Do you want to yes, please. see them? 
So we we commissioned Rankin for that, didn't we? I can never remember if they. I don't know, but I, I was saying to Andrew earlier that at one stage we were just working with Rankin on everything. Oh yeah, and it was helpful that they were ten minutes down the road from our office in Old Street. Pretty pleased with that, even now. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, good design lasts, doesn't it? Yeah. That it was. Is kind of timeless, isn't it? Yeah, but the record companies would hate us. Why do you want to do that? Because it'll make it special and collectible, and years later people will be talking about yeah. it. That's why. But it's not going to make any money. Because they were, they did transcend the music. It was the packaging that made them objects that you wanted to keep. Exactly. And revere and yeah very much so play around with them exactly yeah and take it home and stare at it and engage with it and become involved with it and Mm. create a relationship with it yeah very much so which was different by the time you'd moved on to some of those girl bands you mentioned like girls aloud and stuff because by then things were moving digital was that was that around the time when iTunes was up and running and the physical format was phasing out. Girls Aloud was 2000 and we we worked with the girls on 2002 to 2004, I think. So very much was that transition period. Yeah. It didn't stop us with format, though. No, but again, I mean, we were so lucky working with Poppy, Poppy Stanton and Pete Lorraine. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was a roller coaster because everybody knew after Sound of the Underground, mm. this was the all important second album. And I can remember they came to us and said, look, you've just got to make these girls household names, which is why we put their names on everything, like from the director's chairs on the show. It was all about, and then we hit on the idea, things like, Modesty, Blaze, Faster Pussycat, Kill, Kill, Kill posters. Yeah. Very ballsy, badass, you know, women, chicks, kind of, you know, I don't mean that in a rude way, but, you know, that kind of, that thing. We thought that's that's how we want to see the girls. We want them to be absolutely dynamic. And it kind of worked from there, didn't it? Yeah, sassy, in control, very visual. Yeah, in control, for sure. And And a... and a kind of sisterhood as well, very much together. And were they involved in the creative process? Because I imagine that was potentially tricky if you've got five individuals who are wanting to... Not in the concepts, but, um, you know, we would talk to them at the photo shoots about why we wanted to do what we were doing, and they were up for it. They yeah. were up for it. Never a moody kind of, I don't do that. They were just well up for it, you know. They were in, they were in the throes of this success and really happy and loving it, and all the ideas were fun. We weren't making them do stuff they didn't want to do. So, yeah, the the mood on those photo shoots was always very upbeat and they were up for it. They weren't all... I mean, obviously, they would have seen the ideas. Um, we rarely presented directly. It was mainly through the record company, but they were always up for it. And Paul is a brilliant art director in the sense that he's just always, you know, right in there. <laughs> the, line- the lineage of this is quite clear to me and it's just clear today for the first time, is that Pete Lorraine was in the record company at the time he was in charge of all of this had loved what he what we'd done as a journalist when he was receiving all this stuff from the tom Watkins days mm. and i think that the power of him receiving all of this i don't know we need to speak to peter to see but i think possibly peter could see the power of all this design and the mm. collectability and the, and the real detail and then took that through yeah. here so with biology, for example, which I think is, I, I can't speak for you, Paul, but it's certainly my favourite cover that we ever did for them. Obviously, is a, a bit of an old punk. The like, Bubbles thing. Yeah, yeah, just an incredible cover. So we basically proposed this to Polydor, which became that. <laughs> and this was setting the girls up in the studio. So we set up these Perspex walls, <laughs> shot the girls in the Perspex walls, and then they became the test tubes. I love that connection to, to the, the past as well yeah. with this using the x-ray spec stuff because it is such an iconic design yeah. Yeah. itself. Yeah. And just being totally transparent about it, it <clears> says <throat> on the inside, it says um, it says something about after x-ray specs. So <laughs> right from the get-go, we said this is absolutely, there's no shadow of a doubt, this is why we did it. But that's going back to the punk beginnings. You and know, people we, actually like that, But we they? grew up with punk. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But and people like the fact that we could kind of, what is it, 
Peter um, Peter Robinson said we we popified a punk classic or something. <laughs> Probably a postmodern thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Everything's postmodern. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of taking references far beyond, you know, what's yeah. on the end of your nose. Yeah. Like going going to the far reaches of different music genres and Japan or other things that would oh. draw into the process. But again, I think, you know, we, we've probably referenced this quite a few times, the idea of um, just external sources. It's like Paul and I always prided ourselves on having a, a massive kind of like library, literary library of books. I mean, we've still... Was, <laughs> the stories that we've got about getting rid of our form library, um, but at the time... We just used to immerse ourselves in books and we'd have meetings with the guys in the studio. We'd all come downstairs and everybody would be told to randomly pick five books that they had never seen before. I mean, we had thousands and we'd all go downstairs and people would be looking at something like, you know, a Penrose annual of packaging in 1950s. And there'd be an amazing photograph that we'd go, oh, my God, imagine that for CD2. And it's just literally thinking outside the box, no corny you know, adage meant. It's interesting, actually, because now, um, you know, where you get your references from are all full of algorithms, doesn't it, really? So even mm. if you try hard not to, I mean, I get my flipping Pinterest review of what I might be interested in every day, and it is what I'm interested in, but it's delivering me what it knows I'm interested in as opposed to delivering something that I might not have thought about. Mm. You know, and even the algorithms of Google and all the rest of it, you're constantly finding things that it knows you're going to like, so you're not referencing things farther beyond your own scope or immediate it, reference. Yeah, exactly, and it's what you're not expecting is the most inspirational, isn't it? Because yeah. it kind of catches you off kilter, and you go, oh, okay, let's approach that in a completely different way. Mm. As your bony fingers close around me Long and spindly death becomes me Heaven, can you see what I see? So Anton contacted us one day and said I'd like to work with you on Depeche's next album which of course was Exciter so we had meetings with him Anton was very, very, very much the art director, the lead creative and we were the designers to Anton's creativity. But within that still came an awful lot of um, image manipulation for the 12-inch club remixes, typographic hierarchies, and all of the merchandise. So it was a... That was one of our first times working with a supergroup, actually seeing just how big a supergroup is in terms of the people that work was, around was, the supergroup. It was working like working with a kind of worldwide corporation because they had different managers in different territories mm. who all had to agree on everything and the band you know had to agree on everything and you know so there was lots of toing and froing and communication and but I don't think we've ever designed so much merchandise in all our life and we designed about 150 t-shirts in order for the band to choose 20 in order for 10 to be printed up in but order each for... t-shirt was printed up wow and flown over to to the band and the, the band would systematically say yes or no so this is merchandise that we were doing that never actually saw the light of day is that's that... what i mean about a super group this was like this is a next level yes a, a lot of intensity. design work and you know working we, we'd also actually designed a lot a lot of incredible logos i was looking at them not so long ago there's some incredible incredible logos but then um anton um created the the handwriting um oh for the front um so yeah i mean it was and these unusual photographs because of the the aloe vera flower that he'd photographed while they were in la out in the desert right i think so yeah and um was it palm springs or was it joshua tree i don't know around you know there's a legacy there of course as well lineage um but the amount of work it went on for about a year and a half 18 months i think Pretty much solidly on Depeche Mode. I think we always used to gauge it by the amount of people that would be working on a project. And generally, any project that we would do, there would be probably two designers, I guess, max working. Because, you know, invariably, there'd be the adverts, the posters, the single, the album. But I think with the Depeche campaign, I think there were four designers working on it as an indication of, you know, as Paul has already said in the, um, in the chat, we're real workhorses. All of us were, you know, the, all the guys that used to work at Form, we all used to work, work, work. I think but around that, four of us. To around be that time was a significant shift, wasn't there? Because, you know, obviously it was all about selling records. And then there was a shift into all about selling tickets for the tour. Mm. 
and that was in between that shift I think you know so the tour was to promote the album but now it's all about live isn't it it's about buying the tickets yeah. to see them mm. live so there was a big emphasis placed on the tour and all the tour merchandise and the brochures and working with Anton's incredible photography mm. you know it was obviously a real pleasure having fun kind of laying it all out in the brochures and everything mm. and working out the flow and the pace of the tour brochures um, but I do remember more about working on the tour than I do about the sleeves in many ways. I wish we were leaving I wish we were in somebody's car Going faster than we get home And that would be enough So coming more up to date, tell me a bit about working with Bright Light, Bright Light. We were introduced to Rod by a mutual friend um, and Rod really liked our work. I think he wanted a, a, a slightly kind of like 90s-esque kind of influence to that album. So yeah, it was, it was a really lovely project. That was about 2014, I think. So we had a, a couple of meetings with, with Rod and it was all very much his own photography or he was working with a photographer friend. Everything was done on a relative shoestring because, you know, Rod is basically self self kind of like funded self I'd, and I was always so impressed with him that somebody could have that much of a sound and a vision and just the energy for him to do it on his own in a sense yeah and so we we worked with him and you know we 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 had a, a good budget actually I was really impressed with that because I didn't really know how this was going to go and it's a really amazing album and then of course Elton John um I wish we were leaving I think it was called the single and yeah, it was it was just a lovely project that came at a really good time because Paula and I had just gone through quite um, a work upheaval. In 2012, we celebrated our Form 21 anniversary. So we had a week long of events and an exhibition and we brought a book out celebrating 21 objects, which pointed the way for us. 21 projects equaling 21 campaigns. Um that was in 2012. In 2013, we realised that we really needed to change our lives because we just couldn't carry on with the same intensity for another 21 years. So we said goodbye to our staff and basically moved home and basically started pretty much all over again, just the two of us. So we had gone from a design group of fluctuating eight to ten people into starting off the way we did in 1991. And I guess it's probably fair to say that there was a fair amount of trepidation. We didn't really know that we could even do it like that anymore. And Bright Light was one of the first projects that came along. And I'll always be really thankful for that because that was almost get back into the music industry in a much more kind of one-to-one -one way with Rod. And it was, a, it was a lovely project to be involved with. What are the highlights for you then looking back? Because this must be quite almost emotional in some ways, having all of this archive together in one space and just yeah. going all that way back. It's weird actually, because personal highlights are things that maybe not many people really know about, but time has brought certain highlights to the surface because who'd have thought, you know, some of the things that we worked on of, you know, like your Cocteau Twins at Heaven or Las Vegas has never been, you know, bigger, really. And, you know, and then we did oh, the collaboration with Mark Jacobs fashion label on that recently after they saw Paul's thing on in, posting some archive stuff on Instagram. But I think, you know, I, everything but the girl definitely was a, mm. an incredible experience. Yeah, rebranding Abbey Road Studios is pretty much a highlight, actually. You know, when you go to a festival and you kind of like you think, I'm in a field here and I'm looking at a world that's been created. What was that field like before this world? That gave us the opportunity because we, in 2014, we rebranded Latitude, right. which meant that we went a week before the festival to photograph it because um, Melvin, Melvin Ben, um, he wanted Latitude to be a living, breathing kind of organism, which meant that you, you, he wanted people to see how it came to be. So we went there a, a about a week, a good few days before, and 
Things like that are so exciting because you think this is an immensely privileged moment that we are watching something build and thousands of people would love to be doing that. Mm. It's those privileged moments for me. And the most un unexpected things because, you know, we went to see Natalie the other day perform and, you know, Torn is such an iconic single, which she didn't even write. Um, but, you know, it's, it's such an incredible, I mean, I think it was the most played yeah. single on the yeah. radio ever at one stage. And it was great to, to know that, yeah. you know, we had a part to play in that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, like Busted went to number one this week and, you know, I haven't even talked about Busted. That was, you know, a major, major part to play in, in Busted, um, all, all the design. And, you know, we've got an incredible archive of all, of all that. And seeing them go to number one using the same logo we designed over 20 years ago is great. And not just the same logo, but basically... <laughs> the, the same artwork. The same, well, no, the same, I mean the same imagery. They're, they're still using the imagery from the first album with the idea of the logo on a kind of... I mean, these are all things that we did 20 years ago with them, That, such as the power of what we created with them. I think we've always yeah. tried it's to... It's still really iconic. Because we tried to create things that, you know, that had references from other areas other than what was going on at the time. So the, leg so the legacy has lasted, really. Mm. It's become so were you on board with Busted from day one? Absolutely. We saw them, these three three young lads performed for us, just Paula and I, in Pineapple Studios in Covent Garden. And they were just jumping up and down with their guitars. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. They were brilliant. And it was obvious, you know, we met James and, you know, we, we knew from the get-go that James was an incredible songwriter. He just exuded this aura. Mm. But they were all about kind of Back to the Future and, Mc, you know, Marty McFly. And it was all very kind of nerd rock, you know, uh, not Blink-182, um, Green Day kind of yeah. punk pop. Yeah, yeah but we, we, we literally create that identity from the ground up by going to see them in a studio, yeah. three kids with guitars, and kind of going, right, OK, what can we build from this? And, um, yeah, and created the, the whole look and feel, all... You know, the, the red, black and white theme that's still prevalent in all their stuff and all the photo shoots and yeah, every single photo we art directed for them. It was fun. So this was a Christmas episode of sorts because on this day, 29 years ago, East 17 were number one with Stay Another Day a record that Form designed the packaging for, along with everything else for the band, which you'll now know because you've listened to this fantastic podcast. Thanks so much to Paula and Paul for their time. We had a lot of fun recording the podcast. And you can stay up to date with what Form is up to on their website at form.uk.com and follow them on their socials. So thanks again for listening. Have a happy Christmas and a very jolly new year. Bye-bye.